0: Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. What does it mean to live an extraordinary life? How do we measure or recognize extraordinary lives? We have ways for measuring if someone should become a saint or should be inducted into a hall of fame. But does that mark that person's life as truly extraordinary? In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright looks at some of the first people who recognized that not only would Jesus have an extraordinary life, but that he himself was extraordinary. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us.
1: Would you turn in your scripture to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, and we'll be reading there beginning at verse 22. Luke, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our ears that we might know your presence and hear your voice. I pray, Lord, for the power and leading of your Holy Spirit, that I would speak words of your truth, that they would be spoken in simplicity with grace, so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we experience now, we give only to you the praise and glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I was thinking this week about how we determine what we would consider an extraordinary life. Uh, We probably all have different uh, criteria by which we might determine that. Um, We might look at people who have just become widely known throughout history, and that could be an assortment of people. Uh, We might look at uh, people who have, you know, impacted us from the realms of science, you know, their, their work has been invested for the good of humanity, the people who have helped us to understand the way the world works, like Sir Isaac Newton, or people who have discovered things that have brought better health, you know, Marie Curie, or people like that. Um, Maybe we would think of entrepreneurs of our age like uh, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or other people who have uh, you know, really changed our culture by the things that they have started. Or maybe we would look at people who have just simply invested their lives in, in the cause for a, for a better uh, humanity, people like Clara Barton or Eleanor Roosevelt or other people like that. You know, we could make a long list of people whose lives we would consider to have been extraordinary for one reason or another, but the thing that they would all have in common really is that they are all ordinary people who simply did extraordinary things, at least extraordinary by the way that we might measure them. But they're just ordinary people, uh, people who by hard work, determination, maybe a, a, a good a little bit of good luck and some consequences, you know, some circumstances thrown in, the right thing at the right time, that uh, they, they've impacted the world and their name has been known to us. But they're just ordinary people, right? They're Like we say, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. Which, by the way, is that always true? Are there not people who put their pants on with both legs at the same time? Uh, maybe that's a question for another time. But when we talk about Jesus, we're talking truly about an extraordinary person. And we can say that about Him to the exclusion of all other people because He was unique in who He was. He was a person who was extraordinary in that He was uniquely the begotten Son of God, God incarnate, God made flesh, God who came among us, and was destined to an extraordinary life. This is what is notable about what Simeon and Anna see in him when this child is brought into the temple in Jerusalem. In in their eyes, they are able to see this child that might have, to everyone else, looked so ordinary. But they're able to see in Him that there's something something extraordinary because God has destined this child for greatness. Now when this text happens, Jesus is not very old. We were told on Christmas Eve we did what we traditionally do and we read the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2, which is the birth narrative. You know, the shepherds come to the manger and, and the angels sing and all of that. Uh, verse 21 told us, and we didn't read that, that on the eighth day of his life, as every male Jew, Jewish uh, child would have been, he was circumcised on the eighth, eighth day. Verse 22 begins by telling us that when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem. Now, in these next few verses, Luke seems to kind of shove together two different things, and, and it's a little kind of hard to, to kind of pull those things apart and to remind ourselves of what was going on. They went up to do two things. One of the two things that they went up to do was to present him as the firstborn male child. And we remember that in God's law the firstborn male child, as it says here the first one, the first male that opens the womb, is designated as holy to God. And that goes all the way back to the Exodus narrative. Where, where God spared that firstborn child from the plague that he brought upon Egypt. And he said from that point on that every firstborn, whether it's a firstborn child, firstborn animal, male animal, every firstborn is holy to God. Now, they, they could be redeemed, and that was usually what happened with this firstborn child. And so the firstborn male child would be brought up. They would be redeemed by offering a sacrifice, usually a lamb or something like that as, a, as a, uh, an alternate to, to the child that would have been dedicated to the service of God. So they go up to present Jesus in that fashion, but they also go up on Mary's behalf. And when Luke here in, in verse 24 re- makes reference to the pair of turtle doves or to two young pigeons, that's probably a reference to what the sacrifice would have been for her. After the birth of her child, she would have been considered for a certain amount of time to be unclean. And in Leviticus chapter 12, we're told that she would have been uh, considered unclean for seven days for the birth of a male child, and then also for an extended period of 33 days. So if you put those two things together, 7 plus 33 equals how much? This is a test to see if you're awake. You have that classic period of 40, okay? You have a 40-day period of uncleanness, after which she would be then able to go up to the sanctuary and make a sacrifice for her purification. So at this time, Jesus is probably about 40 days old, okay? I want you to think for a moment how, how, how much things can go back to normal after 40 days, even if you've had this grand thing that has happened, this earth-shaking event, how much do things go back to normal after 40 days? The dust settles pretty quickly, doesn't it? Forty days later, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus up to the temple. What's described for us here, when I read it, seems to be a normal day. There are people coming and going. They're going about their normal daily routines. Um, Joseph and Mary, you know, they're still fresh off the birth of this baby child. They still probably have the, the, the thoughts of shepherds coming to visit in the back of their mind. But even they're going on about their normal life. How much did the birth of the Christ child gets spread around the, the regions there. The, the truth is we don't know. Maybe we have a picture in our minds with uh, how widely the shepherd's stories were, were spread abroad, and I I'm, I'm a little skeptical about how, how, me, how much that would have got passed along because it probably didn't go very far before probably, someone probably said, oh, that's just a shepherd's story. Pfft. You know, I'm not going to pass that along. So, all I'm saying to you is that when when this day comes in the temple and the busyness of what's going on, it's pretty much a normal day. How many people passed by Joseph and Mary carrying God incarnate without a clue of who they were? And I have to think there were so many. I've been in Jerusalem. I've been in the old city of Jerusalem. I know what it was like for me to be there and to feel like this is so special. It was not an ordinary day. When it was an extraordinary day and you just you take in everything that is there. But then at the same time you look around and, and these people who are up the next morning and they're baking their bread that they're going to sell on the street for that day, it's just an ordinary day. There's nothing different about that day than there was the day before or the day after. It's extraordinary to me, but very ordinary to everybody else. And so many people who were coming and going that day, it was just an ordinary day. Jesus gets brought into the temple. And they're going to do what's customary for the law. And there are two people in this context who stand out. One was a man named Simeon. And the second is a woman named Anna. And I want for us to ask this question. What is it about them that was different, that allowed them to see what everybody else seemed to miss? What is it about them that allowed them to see that this child was extraordinary? I think the text tells us, and if I may, in verse 25, it talks about Simeon. It mentions in verse 25 that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Hopeful, anticipating. If you skip down to verse 38, it suggests to us that Anna was, quote, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Different wording, but very much the same kind of meeting. Both of these people were people who were hopeful. They had this sense of anticipation that God was at work. And you never know if God is at work if you wake up one morning and that's the day that you see God's hand at work. You see, they, they had eyes that were kind of tuned to the fact that God was at work. Which means they were poised to see what the rest of them couldn't. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were poised to be able to see. Further than that, look again in verse 25. Simeon is described as a righteous and devout man. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26 that it said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Anna is described in verse 37 as someone at the age of 84 who never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. In our modern language, we would call these people deeply spiritual. Now, I'm not going to chase the rabbit of of what spiritual really means because I can get lost in those weeds. But that's typically what we would say. We would describe Simeon and Anna as Highly spiritual people, that is, their lives were in tune with God. And that's not by accident. It is not accidental that these people had hearts who were resonating, they were open, they were, they were tuned in to what God was doing. And when you are that kind of person, you are, you are poised to be able to see what other people miss. And that is why I believe that Simeon was able to look at that child. I, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how near Mary and Joseph passed to him. Maybe it was very close. Maybe he saw them from afar. I don't know. But when he saw that child, the Holy Spirit prompted him and said, that's it. That's the child right there. Anna followed suit because she understood that God was going to act in the giving of a child. And she spoke up and she began to talk to other people about this child. Everyone who is hopeful for Jerusalem, everyone who is looking for the Lord's redemption, this is the child that we've been waiting for. They broke the normalcy of the day because they were looking for what God was going to do. If it had not been for Simeon and Anna, Joseph and Mary would have come into the temple and left again with no... Look, there was no parade leading them in. This was not like the the triumphal entry of Jesus before his death, where where crowds are gathered and shouting Hosanna. There was no parade, in, helping them into the temple complex. Mary and Joseph weren't coming, waving banners. Saying, hey, we we have Jesus. We have the Christ Child. None of that was going on. It took it took people whose hearts were yearning, chasing after God, to be able to see God's redemption. Thank goodness for people like Simeon and Anna. When Simeon spoke to Mary, there, there were really two things that that went on, and I just want to focus on one. The, the first thing that, got, that Simeon really said was kind of a response of thanksgiving, where... He he says, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. I imagine the, 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 the gratitude that filled Simeon's heart. He had known for years that God was going to allow him to see the Christ. And he says, finally, I've seen it. I have seen the glory of God. I have seen the redemption of Israel. I have seen the person given by the hand of God who has come to redeem the world. And not only Israel, but all of Gentiles as well. And then as as in a prophetic manner, Simeon looks forward in Jesus' life. And this is what he says to Mary. In verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now that little phrase in verse 35 about the sword that would pierce Mary's heart, I think that's just kind of a... I mean, the way I read that grammatically is just that's kind of a parenthetical, like an aside statement. Because he said, "Look, Mary, this this child is destined to a life that's that's going to bring a lot of trouble. There's going to be heartache, and that heartache also is going to transfer over to you. Your 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 soul is going to feel as if it's been pierced by a sword when you end up seeing what happens to this child." But think about what Simeon prophetically said about Jesus. He is destined for the rise and fall of many. He will be a sign that will be opposed. And the hearts of many people are going to be revealed. It's such a powerful statement to be made about a person. We can look back over history, and probably with every person that we would consider to be uh, historically uh, popular, well-known, extraordinary, we could say to one degree or another that they've impacted the world around us, but there has been none who has impacted the world like the person of Jesus Christ. I think it would be an interesting uh, venture to look at how, through history, the person of Jesus Christ has caused the rise and fall of people. Leaders, kings, emperors, um, movements, nations, you name it. How, how, how they have risen and fallen, hinged upon the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, you could get lost in doing that kind of work, and I think it would be fascinating to find out uh, just how, what kind of impact he has had? I want us to think, though, about these two statements. He is—he's going to be a sign to be opposed, and the hearts of many are going to be revealed. Jesus came to the to the world as a sign, as something to point people toward God in truth. Jesus used this same kind of language to talk about himself. If you looked a little bit further on over into Luke chapter eleven, you would find there where Jesus himself talks about himself being a sign, where he actually says that just as Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also will the Son of Man be a sign to the people of this generation. A sign, something sent by God to capture the attention of people and turn them aside to God's truth. Think about how God used Jonah to do that to the great city of Nineveh. Do you remember the reluctant prophet Jonah? Where God said, go to Nineveh, and he went the other direction? Got swallowed by a large fish, spit up. I know, it's gross, right? Sent back on his way, went to Nineveh, and preached the shortest sermon recorded in the Bible, possibly. Forty days more, and and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the entire city repents. Man, would you love that as a preacher. I mean, you can go to lunch early, and the biggest altar call you've ever seen in your life. God did that. Jonah walked into the middle of that city, spoke up on behalf of God, and God's Spirit caused this great revival. These people who repented their sin and turned back to God, considering the evilness of their ways. And Jesus says, just as Jonah was assigned to that city, so also will the Son of Man be assigned to this generation. But the effects, (laughs) the effects are going to look different when it comes to Jesus' life. Jesus was a sign that was so strongly opposed Think about the opposition that rose up at the end of his life. Think about how the opposition to him built throughout the few years of his ministry. The more he preached and the more he healed, the more he moved the hearts of people and the more opposition rose up against him. He challenged the hardness and the darkness of the human heart. And when the darkness... And the hardness of the human heart is challenged. Opposition builds. It, it remained even into the, in, into the ministry of the, of the apostles. You can see that in the apostle Paul's ministry from, from the very beginning of it. When he starts to preach, he gets people following him and he gets people who want to kill him. All because of Jesus Christ. Why is it that Jesus becomes assigned to be opposed? It is because of the other thing that Simeon says about him. Because Jesus reveals the hearts of men and women. John, the gospel writer, records it this way. If you go over into that very familiar third chapter of the gospel according to John, it is written this way in the 19th and 20th verses. For this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men have preferred darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light because of fear that his deeds will be exposed. Mark those verses down. That is such an apt description of the human condition. The light of God in the person of Jesus Christ has come into the world. Do you know what happens when light shines? You see better. And when the light of God shines into the darkness of humanity, the darkness of humanity stands in stark contrast. And it is an accurate statement that the Gospel writer shares. The light of God has come, and men preferred darkness rather than light. Why? Because that's where our hearts are inclined. Our hearts are inclined to evil. And when our hearts are inclined to evil, light exposes it. And the response that we have to that so often is, to flee from it. We don't want anything to do with the light because the light exposes where our hearts are. The ministry of Jesus Christ was a long exposition of the darkness of the human heart. It is no wonder they put him on a cross. Simeon looked at this child And and by some movement of the Holy Spirit, was able to look forward and think, oh my gosh, what is this child destined for? To a day when he would, by the hatred of humanity, be pressed to a rugged cross and lifted up to die. Why? Because he exposed the darkness of the human heart. And when he was on the cross of Calvary, the wrath of God against human sin was poured out upon him. This extraordinarily unique man, who lived an extraordinary life, came to meet an extraordinarily gruesome death. But thank goodness that wasn't the end of the story. Because on the third day, the most extraordinary thing happened when, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus stepped out of the tomb, spent the next 40 days appearing to His disciples, and then ascended to the throne of heaven. That, my friends, is an extraordinary life from an extraordinary man. He is the light that has come into the world. Here's the thing. Every one of us are called consistently to the light of God. I don't care if you are a seeker. I don't care if you are a fringe Christian. I don't care if you have been saved 50 years ago and you've been applying yourself. Every one of us are called consistently to the into the light of God, so that the light of God will shine upon us and expose to us that which does not allow, does not align with God's righteousness. We are consistently tempted to do otherwise. We are consistently tempted to take our Christianity, claim our faith, rest in it, and then take take that faith and hide it behind all kinds of things. We hide it behind our politics, we hide it behind our social justice movement, we hide it behind our our cultural relevance, we hide it behind the conveniences of our life, we hide it behind all kinds of things, but the light of Christ will not be satisfied to be hidden behind anything. And God comes into the world to bring us into light. The question for everyone else will be Will we be like Simeon and Anna, who want to gravitate to the light, who align ourselves with God, who anticipate that God is going to come and expose, or are we going to go about our lives like normal? It is so easy to revert to normal. We are two days away, two days from, I guess I should say, the Christmas celebration. December the 24th we gathered for a Christmas Eve worship. December the 25th we uh, celebrated. This is the day we mark on the calendar that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're two days past that now. I wonder how many people have already have your Christmas decorations put away. You don't have to say amen and raise your hand. And that's not the test, okay? You know, we don't live by rules like I'm going to scold you if you've already put your Christmas decorations away before Epiphany. That's not the way it works. All I'm saying is just think, if you will, how quickly things go back to normal. And we can take the most crucial, life-changing event in history... And tuck it away like it is only a secondary thought in our lives. And my fear is that so many of us will do just exactly that. Christmas will come and go. And we'll put it away. And we'll go on about our lives like normal. And the light of the world that has come into our midst. Will fade into some kind of background instead of shining into the light, into the darkness of our lives and changing us. Richard Foster once wrote that to stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Resentments cannot be held with the same tenacity as when we enter His gracious light. And I would go so far as to say nothing of our human condition can be held with the same tenacity. When we come into the light of Christ, we let go of all of the things that are darkness. And He will break that in us. friends, I say to you, the light of Christ has come. And the invitation that we have from this day forward, is to walk in the light of Christ, to yearn for the light of Christ, to seek the light of Christ, or to go on about your life as normal. And I ask you today which one it's going to be. Would you pray with me? Father, it's uh, convicting to me to think throughout the years of what my eyes might have missed because I have not had them ready to see your light. God, I don't want to miss your light. I don't want to miss your hand at work. And Lord, Lord, I don't want to fall short of what you might want to do in me. I suspect, Lord, that there are others who would feel the same. And So I pray that for each one who would confess that to you this morning, help us in the days to come. Help us to have greater anticipation of your hand at work around us. Help us to have greater clarity in our ability to see Help us to have hearts that are tender and open before you. That you would show us the things that are not Christ-like. and That your Holy Spirit might do a transforming work within us. Most of all, Lord, I pray that the person of Jesus Christ would be so powerfully born anew in our hearts, in the hearts of people across the world, that we might see life-changing things happen around us, that your kingdom would shine brightly, and that Jesus would be lifted up and given his proper place among us. We pray this to his glory and in his name. Amen.
0: We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www dot r-m-u-m-c dot net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.